well, let's see. It's great to be here this uh, morning. It's great to be at church every Sunday, as always. Um, Yes, we've been uh, saying recently, for those who are visiting, we've been trying to go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, uh, tracing, if you like, the the scarlet threads through the Bible, like how was Jesus revealed, in a sense, throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end. And uh, today we come up into uh, a really exciting point for me, well, for everyone, but this is one of my uh, most uh, exciting bits of the Bible. And uh, this is the story when they go into exile. So when we were first discussing about this, uh, these topics, I was like, I really wanted the book of Daniel. Because actually the book of Daniel is probably my favourite book of the Bible, if I'm completely honest. It's, and it's difficult because it's also the most complex book of the Bible. So to do a preach on it was, would be really interesting, I thought. So uh, I hope this would go well. And like, I didn't, when I originally planned it, I didn't actually, I kind of forgot how much little sleep you get when you have a new baby. So if my eyes start twitching, then you'll know why. But yeah, like, um, so yeah, it's my favourite book of the Bible. And, um, and uh, I was saying the other day in uh, one of the meetings, staff meetings, that uh, when I get to heaven, after I've said hi to Jesus, Daniel would probably be the next one I would sort out. Because there's so many different things. And then I guess I'd probably go and find my wife if her time. <laughs> <laughs> I love you really, honey. But like, um, I just want to show on the next slide to kind of set the scene. Um, you may not be able to see it so well, but this I thought would be a good help for us to, together. And it kind of sets the scene because it describes uh, the story from Abraham and then it goes all the way down to the bit at the bottom, in the middle bit where we're now on Ezekiel and Daniel. And we've been through the Bible and we've discussed how the kingdom got split to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel and the southern kingdom being Judah. And uh, beside it is the uh, prophets that specifically spoke to each place, so whether it was to Israel or to Judah. So we've got, we, we've spoken recently on Jeremiah, uh, we've had the minor prophets, and now we come up onto Ezekiel or Daniel. But uh, to make life easier for myself, I'm just going to focus on one book today, and that's just going to be Daniel. So we come onto this point where God had been saying, uh, trying to discipline his, his nation, and he'd been given different warnings. Um, they've been taken over by various kings, various kingdoms, and eventually he said, enough is enough. And as I was planning this, funny enough, I had Elias, my other son, dragging at my leg, while my, while my other son, my new son, Jed, was just like crying away, and I was like, oh, Elias, will you just sort yourself out? <laughs> I forget that he's only like almost four. And uh, we have a routine in our house, we have the naughty step. Which never goes to plan, if you know, unless if I'm not the only one, you know, you can forget watching 9999 or whatever it is. And the only time when I keep putting it back to the naughty step, the naughty step, and it'll keep coming off, and keep coming off. The only time he really knows I mean business is when I say, right, I'm getting your mother, and then <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry. And this is kind of it's a, it's a light analogy, it's a light metaphor, but this is kind of that sense in this, in, in a way. God had like been given this warnings after warnings, and eventually he's like, you know, this is it. So now this time for ex, you, you've, I've given you enough warnings, and now you're going to go into exile. So we've been so the Assyrian. We're going to be discussing a lot about history today. I'm sorry if that's not your interest, but I think when you study, when we look at the Bible, we've got to understand that it is about space and time, and the Bible is a real is about real people in real time. So it's in order to really best understand it, I think it's really good if we come to grips with that culture and with that time. So we're going to be discussing a bit about empires and all this sort of thing. So the Assyrians are taken over first, 
the northern kingdom, and then the Babylonian Empire came in with King Nebuchadnezzar, and then and that's where our story begins here. So, next slide will show. That's, uh, we're going back in time. <laughs> so, hold on to your seats. <laughs> so, yeah. So I thought, in order to really kind of set the scene, what would be good is if we sort of give a brief overview of the book of Daniel to kind of help us. Because I think if I say the book of Daniel, there'll be many different things that come to mind. Uh, the, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, the fiery furnace, the, the mystical hand drawing on the wall. So I thought, well, let's just like scan through the book briefly first, and then we're going to look at the details. And all the while, we need to make sure that one of the focus throughout this series is that we're trying to get an understanding of what it would be like for like a first century Jew to be reading this. You know, they're reading these books. Why are these books in the Bible? Why is Daniel in the Bible? What does it tell to them? What is the meaning of it? Yes, they want, they're looking for the Messiah, but what else are they trying to get through it? <coughs> so the book of Daniel can basically be split into two different sections. It can be split into sections 1 to 6, uh, chapters 1 to 6, and then from 7 to 12. And 1 to 6 is basically the bit where most of us, I guess, will, will be really familiar with with the different narratives. And then 7 to 12 is basically all the prophetic stuff, which you won't be dealing with too much because that's just beyond me. I'll have to be at college a few more years before I preach on that. <laughs> but hey, hey, let's start. So Daniel 1 is, so the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon had come in and he invaded uh, Judah. And <clears throat> he decided what he was going to do is he was going to take away... Uh, for himself, everyone, but specifically he wanted to take some of the uh, most educated individuals. And these happened to be like uh, in their late teens, probably in their 17 years old, really in their 20, around about that sort of age range. And what he was doing, he wanted to take them and take them to his own sort of courts and teach them the, t- the ways of the Chaldeans, which is where he is from and all that kind of culture. Not because it was because he wanted to give them a great job, but basically because he wanted to kind of brainwash them and take them away from their Jewish culture. Um, and fill them with this new one. So, these, so we're going to go for this really briefly. So Daniel was one of these uh, these guys that come in, as well as his three friends. So they come into uh, Babylon and he teaches them all the ways. And the first kind of uh, instance we come across is the fiery furnace. So this is when King Nebuchadnezzar sets up an idol for himself. He sets up a golden statue and, and he commands everyone to bow down to him. And consequently, uh, David... Daniel's three friends refused to, and as a result, they, um, they were sentenced to death. So uh, they were thrown to this fiery furnace. And for all those of us who know the story, it's a childish story, but it's the most amazing story, isn't it? Like they went to the furnace, and the only thing that burned was just the ropes on their hands. And above all that, there was, there was a fourth man in it, which is Jesus, which we could preach about alone from this, but we're not going to this morning. So that was the first kind of narrative. So after that happened, King Nebuchadnezzar was in a state where it's like he kind of accepted their God, but then as usual, he kind of fell away from it. He fell away from God and he didn't believe it and he had several dreams which Daniel interpreted and then eventually he was humbled to the point of crawling around like an animal. Um, some of you might know the famous William Blake uh, painting of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if I'm just spouting up things if you do know that or not, but yeah, good. <laughs> so and then he came to the point where after, he came to the point with his life where he's like, okay, when he, when God rescued him from that and he humbled him, uh, he says this, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And that will speak to us today as well. 
and that's the life of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He then moves on to, he then takes up an arch and shifts onto his grandson, Balthazar. And uh, Balthazar was <coughs> basically uh, in the, the uh, kingdom, in the palace. And uh, he believed personally that the Persian Empire was out there and was going to attack them. Uh, but he didn't be- he believed they were imperishable. He didn't believe that there could ever anything that could happen to the Babylonic, Babylonian Empire. But actually what happened was that the Persians ended up taking over uh, them and he was dead. And then that ends the Babylonian Empire and comes into the Persians. So this brings us into uh, chapter 6. So chapter 6 is Daniel and the Lion's Den, uh, which is also a real great uh, classic. Remember, probably seen so many books when you were a kid or handing to your own children. And the story behind that, if we just come to grips with it, is basically the uh, Daniel had got to the point where he, uh, when he came into the Persian Empire, they recognised him as a, as a guy of wisdom. And they placed him in, and the king pre- placed him in a high official above everybody else, one of the main three in the whole of his empire. You might be able to see some similarities to Joseph and, uh, in, in, Ex- in Exodus, in Genesis. So you came to this point, and obviously everybody else, the other officials were jealous. So consequently, they, um, they said to the king, you know what you should do? You should have this time where everyone uh, should pay homage and, and worship you for 30 days, and anyone who doesn't would have to face the death penalty. So he says, okay, that's a good, great idea. So he went through with it, and... Uh, Daniel at this time realised that uh, he, uh, he couldn't do it. He's just out of his character. He had to obey God. So consequently, he didn't. And he was uh, thrown into the lion's den. And uh, as we all know, he came out unscathed. And uh, he came out of it. And he was placed in honour again. And that's kind of the end of chapter 6. And then he goes on to all the visions and so on, which we'll touch on just one towards the end of our time today. But what I really wanted to do within those uh, six chapters is just pick out a very few things that we can kind of understand about the book of Daniel. See, the book of Daniel, if you wanted to kind of give an over-denying uh, theme about it, is probably the sovereignty of God. That's probably the, the, the uh, word I would use to describe the book of Daniel. Is that God is sovereign over all circumstances, no matter if they're good, no matter if they're bad, no matter if you've caused them, no matter if you've just been placed into them. God is still sovereign. But let's just try and come to grips with a few instances of what we can take from uh, Daniel and his friends that we can apply to ourselves today. So let's just move on to the next slide. So faith slash obedience and prayer and intercession. I placed uh, faith and obedience together because I kind of, as I was practicing uh, what I was saying, I was kind of ended up repeating myself. So I thought, you know what, you can't, you can't usually go on to have obedience unless you have the faith. But it's one thing having faith, but it's another thing actually putting it into practice. So that's why I kind of put them two together. So let's move on to the first, faith and obedience. (coughs) I'm just looking, there you go. Right, Fiery Furnace, chapter 2, and Lion's Den, chapter 6. Yes. Oh, what's that? Chapter 3, okay, sorry. Good eyes. Yeah. So let's just focus this. So the fiery furnace. So we come to a place where faith is... is uh, obedience and faith is, is really important in the lives of uh, Daniel and his friends. And they, at the beginning when we talk about the fiery furnace, you know, it's, uh, they could have naturally rejected the idea of... Uh, they could have just given themselves a barren down, but they chose not to. And it was an obedience that they gave that actually produced the... Uh, 
this amazing testimony they could give. And as I was looking through this, I was often thinking, you know what, you could also refer this to Daniel and the Lion's Den, where Daniel uh, knew he was going to face sheer death. He didn't know necessarily that God was going to deliver him in, a, in that particular way from it. If you, if you actually read uh, in Hebrews, it would say that some people in these times were sawn in two, they were killed. So it wasn't in his mind necessarily that God was going to deliver him in the sense that he was going to deliver him whole and, and actually uh, rescue him at his life. But as I was trying to study this, I thought, you know what, like, they did this out of faith and obedience, and, and there's the next, and I came up with this bit here, our greatest trial and hardest circumstance could be our greatest testimony. You know, if you, like I said at the beginning of the time, you know, if I went to, if I, when I go to heaven, if, I always write that, when I go to heaven, you know, I will <laughs> speak to Daniel maybe, and Candice, and then I will, and then there will be a time you know, if I would ever spoke to a Bendigo or one of the guys there, I'm sure one of the, if I said to me, can you tell me your testimony? They were, part of their highlight of their testimony will probably be being in the fiery furnace, wouldn't it? And I think that's really important for us to understand today. Because the time, if you ask them, if you say that to them, you know what, five minutes before you went into this fiery furnace, this is going to be your greatest testimony. They'd be like, wow, I guess that's going to, I'm just going to leave a good legacy because I'm going to die. But no. And I think that's really key for us to understand today. You know, if you may be going through a specific time, a really hard trial in your life, a circumstance, it could be uh, you could have brought upon yourself, or that just happens, life just happens. And you've just gone through, and you're going through something which is really tough. But our greatest, but one of these things is that our greatest trial could be our greatest testimony. You know, when Daniel went into the lion's den, he was 83 years old. This is actually one of the reasons why it's also my favourite book of the Bible because it kind of takes the life of someone from the age of like 17 all the way to the age of 83 and a bit beyond and it's like, you know, this is fantastic because we all can fit into this category, can't we? So even at the age of 83, if you asked Daniel what was his greatest testimony, what is his greatest thing, he'd probably say that one of it is the lion's den. So his greatest testimony happened when he was 83 years old. So let's move on to the next bit. So prayer. I split prayer into two sections, into personal and corporate. So first one is focus on the the personal bit. So when uh, so if we just yeah if we read this uh, Daniel six verse ten to eleven, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God, thanks before his God, as he had done previously. I underlined as he had done previously. Because this emphasizes the fact that Daniel didn't just go on his knees to pray because he was facing death, but because it was just a routine for him. And I know, like, it's easy to say we must pray as Christians. We must. Well, but it's something that is overlooked, in a sense, in our lives. I don't know what your prayer life is like. I don't know where it's not easy to find time to spend with God in prayer. But it's right to spend time. And, it's, and the example that Daniel gives is that it's good to pray for yourself, that God to give you strength, God to give you courage, God to protect you. You know, when I was going through life, someone used to say to me, you, know, you, 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 you shouldn't pray for yourself. You should get other people pray for you and you should pray for other people. What a load of rubbish. 
It's good to pray, God, give me strength. Give me wisdom. And the second one is a, is a communal, um, it's sorry, corporate prayer. Corporate is probably the wrong words. It's uh, a one mean is, is intercession, he's praying for other people. And before we go into reading this, it's good, it's worthy of noting that um, he came to say this prayer when he was, uh, when he read Jeremiah and he realised that the 70 years that Jeremiah gave that they would be in uh, captivity was almost up. So he realised this time was almost up, uh, 70 years was almost up, captivity was almost finished in that sense. And what was going to happen? What's his response? So let's just read it together. <clears throat> I'll read it to you. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Is that right there? Yeah. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Let's scroll down a bit a few verses. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. If you look around the screen and you really focus on the words we, you see, Daniel, in a sense, wasn't responsible. He was innocent, if you like, of, of, the, uh, of the guilt that was leading up into exile. But he was putting himself in the shoes of those people who had been responsible he was putting himself in the community. He was instead of stepping outside of his community, he was stepping inside of it and looking out. He was repenting on their behalf, and he does this in, this, in the way that he's, he wants it for a community of people. And that's important for us as Christians today. Peter explains it better, not better, but additionally in uh, 1 Peter 2:9. You are a chosen people. When we say you, as we read this, remember when we, we're talking, he's not talking to you individually, he's talking to you corporately, us as a church, if you like. I want to think of it like that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, what I'm basically trying to get at could be summed up in a little sentence from uh, Richard Foster. Life with God, by definition, is life in community. And I think that's one of the hardest, most difficult things, in a sense, when you try to talk to new Christians or if you try and disciple a Christian. See, we live in an individualistic society where everything's about us. And you do start... If, um, when I, if I was going to disciple somebody or talk to someone about God, I would naturally bring it on their level and make it about them. God did this for you, good that for you. But when we make a commitment to God, we've got to try and keep that, yes, that individuality that is about me. But we can't stay with that for the rest of our lives. We have to move into the, from the I to the we. 
And sometimes people as Christians, we can just forget that and we can make it all about ourselves and we forget that actually life in community is what God had called us to be. So with those few things, we can say, what, is, what does this mean for the Jews at this time? Well, God is faithful in their disobedience. God is there for them. He is sovereign over all things. Even when they've done wrong, God is there for them. And God's best is still there for them. The best things are still yet to come. Daniel spent the majority of his life in exile, but yet he saw amazing and incredible things. But as I said at the beginning, we're trying to kind of trace the, the thread of Jesus. So where does Jesus kind of come into the book of Daniel? Well, if we move on to the next slide... We come into Daniel 7, 13-14. Before I read this, it's worth noting also, one of the amazing things about the book of Daniel, I believe, is that it's, it teaches history. Because it goes, there's, if you look at chapter 2 and you look at chapter 7, there's different, vision, there's different dreams that Daniel interprets. And uh, basically these kingdoms are the, the Babylonian Empire, and the first starts off, no, the Assyrian, sorry, then the Babylonian Empire. Then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans come in. And the bit before Daniel 7 is basically Daniel explaining that there is right, that he's explaining the rise and the fall of these kingdoms. And then at the climax, he comes through Daniel 7, 13 to 14. So let's just read it. I might have a different translation than what I wrote on there, but... <clears throat> I saw in the night visions, and beheld, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that should not be destroyed. This is where we would get to see the introduction of Jesus, the Messiah. I want to focus first on what we mean by this, the Son of Man. Uh, if you look through uh, the, the, the Gospels, Son of Man is probably one of the uh, good titles that Jesus gives to himself throughout a lot of the Gospels. But what does it really, what do we really get what does it really mean? That's what I'm trying to say. What does it really mean? Some people tend to think the Son of Man refers to Christ's humanity and the Son of God refers to Christ's divinity. Well, that's just not true at all. <laughs> if anything, I think it takes us back to uh, Genesis 3.16 where we kind of started this whole series back in January. <clears throat> that's... Uh, after the sin of Adam, this is the foot that her seed will crush the head of the serpent. And as we go through the Bible, we've seen that the law has taught, if anything, was given, Akira spoke about it a few a while back, the law was given that we would realise our sins. If you put two and two together, you realise that actually this is proclaiming the Son of Man. That in order to be the one who crushes the devil's head, you had to be human because man had committed the sins and man had to atone for the sin. 
But as we've seen through the law, man couldn't possibly keep the law. So what did he do? Well, he sent Jesus. So the God-man, that is Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the Son of God, we're talking about Christ's divinity and his humanity, all rolled into one. Let's look at a few verses where Jesus, where this is mentioned. Mark 13, 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Or John 3:14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the man, Son of Man may, must be lifted up. But perhaps one of the most exciting verses of all for us this morning <coughs> is in Matthew. But Jesus, this is at his trial. In that trial, Jesus remained silent for the majority of the time, and it came to a point where he's, where the, the religious leaders were getting totally fed up with it. Come on, you're going to say something? We could kill you. We, we will kill you. What is your defense? Are you the Son of God? What is, what is this deal with you? And then it comes to this. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I, ch- I charge you under the oath by the living God, Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And what does Jesus respond? You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. Why is it blasphemy? Because Jesus is referring back to these verses in Daniel 4, 13 14. They recognised that he was putting himself in the same shoes as his prophecy. The same prophecy that was given that the Jews were looking for for centuries before. And that Jesus was putting himself there and saying, this is who I am. But let's just try and dig a bit deeper into it. We keep the, uh, if we could, maybe, if you're able to switch back to uh, Daniel 13 to 14, I'm just going to sort of, yeah, that's it. You keep this up on the screen. I'm going to kind of dissect this a little bit. So he got to the point where he's saying, "I am the Son of God, Son of Man." Sorry. And what else is it saying here? And he, was, and, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. A kingdom will be given to the Son of Man. A kingdom will be given to Jesus. Why? What is, what is the purpose of this? That all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which should not pass away. One of the great things, or the interesting things when I was coming to grips with this, I thought, you know, it could stop there, couldn't it? His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. But it carries on. And his, and his kingdom, and his kingdom one shall not be destroyed. Why does it say shall not be destroyed? Why is the whole point about that? Well, I think it's because the Jews at this time, when they were looking at the back of their history, they have seen the rise, they, and they, they have seen the rise and the fall of kingdoms. Of great empires, the, you know, now they're in the Roman Empire, but they've seen that all the amazing things that have happened in a bad way, but they've seen all these great kingdoms come and go. 
But there's a sense this is the kingdom that is here to stay. This is one that will remain forever. And I think we can, uh, one of the, some verse, and I think I could talk about this probably a bit more, but I reckon what's the point of talking when you can just read a scripture that just explains it so much better than I ever could. So go to the, sorry, so if we could go to, um, Revelation 1, uh, 12 to 18, yeah. This is probably like quite small for you guys to read. But I've combined this uh, Revelation uh, 1, 12 to 18 with um, a verse of Philippians 2, 10 as well. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw golden, seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. And Philippians 2, 10 to 11. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. What amazing statements. The Son of Man that is predicted, the Son of Man that is prophesied in the book of Daniel is to have an everlasting kingdom. And and his everlasting kingdom, every knee shall bow before him. And I think what a time there is today as a a church, but as a society today, that we look and see at the world, and those words, every knee will bow before God. All the evil that is in this world, all the things that are going on, all the things that ISIS and other things are going, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus one day. The sovereignty of God explains... In such simple terms, every knee. We come before a God who is in control, even though we may not see it. Who sees the past and the future and the present all in one glance. And knows all of our lives. Individually, he knows the hairs on your head, but he also knows what struggles and trials you go through until your final days until every knee will come and bow at the foot of Jesus. So let's time travel back to today. What can we learn from this time this morning? We're all part of a community and we serve him and others. We are to pray for ourselves and we are to pray for others. I think that's a key thing that we must remember. We live in a community. We're our body of believers. We are the members of Christ. We may not get along. You know, like, it's very interesting, isn't it, when you, bec- I don't know if, I, I, I find it hard because when I, my testimony is basically, you know, I, I grew up in the church, so I can't, I don't know what it's like to enter a church in a way for the first time and, and, uh, and experience it for the first time because I don't remember life without church, if that makes sense. 
<coughs> but, <laughs> I forgot what I actually said that for, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it was like to come to church the first time and experience it, but we live in a community and we're meant to, and that's it. I got it now. I got it now. <coughs> we come to this place and, we're, and we don't know what it is, and we, we come to church and we expect it to be one thing, but it might be another thing. You know, the problem with church is sometimes that it's difficult because people go to church and people are difficult. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why it's hard. But we're called to be a community. I don't know what your family is like. Sometimes families are difficult, aren't they? But we've got to be praying for each other. <laughs> we've got to be witnessing to each other. You know, recently we've been going through a few things about uh, intentionally going to bless people. And I've, I shared the other week that my wife and I have been intentionally blessed by the church, by after we, uh, my wife gave birth, that we um, had people coming and giving us meals. And that was a great sense of experiencing the love of others through the gift of food. And it was incredible for us. It may just seem so easy for you to make a meal, but it, was, it meant so much to us. And that's usually the case. The simplest things can mean so much to others. And I would just want to also venture to say that it's not even just going out to bless others. You know, why not go out intentionally to bless your wife or your husband today? Why, why restrict it just to other people, other families? So the second point we can see is that he is sovereign and as I said as earlier, our greatest trials and our hardest circumstances could be our greatest testimony. Is there some things that we're going through this morning that are really tough for you? That maybe you were, maybe it's a result of something that you've done, and, and the consequences are really difficult. Or maybe it's not the thing you've done. It's just like I said earlier, it's just life. God is sovereign and in control. And I think one of the things when I was preparing this, near the beginning of the first few centuries of the church, there was something going around that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. And we kind of resolved that in our 21st century. and said, you know, the, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. But we kind of come up with a new dilemma. Is the God of the Bible the God of today? I read these stories. I read about Daniel and the lions. Daniel and the lions den. I read about the fiery furnace. I read about all these fantastic things. But where does this fit in life today? We know, obviously, that there's a rhetorical question in a sense, isn't it? Because we know the answer. He is the God of today. We may not face trials that may lead to death. We may not find things in life that lead that way, although we may do, there's situations going around the world that death is an option that's going to face people. But we have our own trials and our own things that we go through in life. But God is sovereign and God is in control, even in the midst of all these things that we face. And the third point I wanted to say is, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. The Son of Man that was crucified, that was, that was spoken and treated in the Bible and through the centuries of the church, is still the Son of Man today. 
and he sits on his throne with God and one day he will come again. And one day, every, like I said earlier, every knee will bow at the foot of Jesus. It is all about him. Our lives are all about him. And when I thought about how to end my, my sermon today and about a song to end, there's, there's a song I really wanted to put in uh, to the mix. And uh, it's, it's actually my, it's probably, to be honest, my favourite song, my favourite Christian song. And it just talks about giving me, dear Lord, just give me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can take the world, but give me Jesus. And I think there's some of us today that need to do that. We need to say, oh, just give me Jesus. A declaration, if you like, or maybe it's saying, Lord, you know, I've been so distant from you. I know you are the God of the Bible, but I don't feel it today. I know you did miracles and I know you saved people, but I don't see it today. As we listen to this song, and I just want to spend a little bit of time reflecting on it before I end in prayer, and just really kind of reflect on what it means to ask Jesus into our lives, and what it means to ask for him to constantly be there. A declaration, yes, we have Jesus. So in a sense, asking for more of him is to sound a bit contradictory, doesn't it? But we get the point. I'm not going to go into that. It's asking for more of him in our lives. More of a submission of ourselves to be filled more with the presence of Jesus and the likeness of Jesus. So the words are going to be on the screen, but actually it's such an easy song, you don't even need to listen to the, you don't even need to watch the words, you just need to listen to the song. So let's just listen to it. Okay, we listen to it. You don't need the words. Close your eyes if you need to. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus
people who just want to come up for prayer then just feel free if you like re- reflect on that song the all you need is Jesus and all you want is Jesus and there's something in your life that is just dr- dragging you down or finding hard just come before him it's all about him he is sovereign over your lives all of our lives. He is sovereign not only just over us as Christians, but over the whole world. That he could even bring someone like Nebuchadnezzar to his knees and humble him. We don't all not always see the outworkings that, that goes on. But we know that God hears our prayers. Let's just end in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your love and for your mercy and for your passion for your people. We've been hearing this morning, Lord, about living in exile, living in a time where all our lives was all their lives would have been turned on their heads and they would have wondered what was happening what way out there was going to be but you always provided a way out and the greatest testimony of their lives was through the hardest times and the struggles that they faced God this morning as we come before you may we recognise and honour you as the God of the Bible and the God of today that you are a living God that when we read the words on the page we are not just reading a text but we are reading a book that is life the very words of God Lord we adore you and we worship you and we recognise you as the true and awesome God that you are and we recognise that life's trials Lord are still within your grasp and still under your control and when things seem hard you are there and when things seem great you are there 
may we be there for each other as a family. Let's honour each other as a church, Lord. But it's not only just a church of Weymouth Baptist Church, but church beyond for visiting churches. May we just grow and unite together to resemble Jesus. We thank you, Lord God, for your undeniable love for us. And we do all that we can do is just say thank you and we give you our lives in obedience and in faith. To the glory and the honour of your name we pray. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Now, I know the treasurer is not here today.